house. No, the right no, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. I want to begin, Stephen, by asking you, this is the most personal film that we've ever seen from you. Why was now the time to, to make The Fablemans? First, I want to say I'm really glad we came to Toronto. <laughs> this is Canadian content, and it's time we take credit for it, starting now. Hello and welcome to the This Head Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that spent the last week and a half trying on fancy brooches with Anne Hathaway and Zendaya. Every week on This Head Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all fell apart and went wrong, except for now, we're not talking about a specific movie, we're talking about a lot of movies, because Chris, we just came back from the Toronto International Film Festival, I... I'm your host, Joe Reed. I'm here, as always, with the Princess of Wales to my Royal Alexandria, Chris File. Hello, Chris. In the search for new endings, there is only new beginnings. Or whatever the hell. (laughs) I will say, I feel less uh, cloistered and sort of hoity-toity about talking about the pre-roll ads at TIFF, because this Bulgari ad pre-existed this Toronto Film Festival and is widely available to anybody listening who just wants to search on YouTube for the Bulgari <laughs> ad with Anne Hathaway and Zendaya and watch it. Here's what I'll say. To approximate the headspace that Chris and I are in, find that ad on YouTube and then watch it three to four times a day at like regular intervals. Like every like <laughs> three or four hours, just play that ad and you will and do it for like 10 days straight and then you will imagine... Oh, where we are. And then towards, towards the end of those 10 days, try and start clapping on the beat a little bit and see if you can get other people to join in. And, and, and then you'll be where we're at. Yes. We were being a little bitchy and saying that it was the greatest movie Paolo Sorrentino had ever made. But honestly. <laughs> where is the lie? Find the, the lie. lie. I, I dare you. I also ask you, what is the plot of this ad? It makes it seem like <laughs> Anne Hathaway is like the doting stepmother to Zendaya who discovers self-actualization through dancing about diamonds. They're two high-class con artists who have found a way into the home of a peacock enthusiast who is is not home at the moment, but has designed a security system where if anybody breaks into the house, flowers will fall from the ceiling on top of them. That's that's as far as they've got. Society witches. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. Pretend that Anne Hathaway didn't already remake the witches and then do a different movie called The Witches and it's these two. Exactly. Practical Magic Two. When? Pre-roll of the you. festival. Okay, so we have to start this episode talking about the pre-roll of the festival. We do. As if for, you know, Inside Baseball, if you are a listener who was not at the festival, but uh, it'll be like the experience of watching a film at this festival. Um, other pre-roll ads include the RBC, How to Make a Film ad that... Right. It starts with the land acknowledgement, which is uh, good and solemn and and 
and brief. And when I say I compliment it for being brief, I'm not like, oh, thank God it's over. But like, it's succinct in a way that I feel like an American version of that would be more flowery. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, well, it's, it's also succinct when we have five more ads to watch before watching a two and a half hour film. Right. So. Uh, Royal Bank of Canada is, is a whatever ad. Um, the volunteer ad, which we all rightfully clap at because the volunteers were once again, amazing. The and backbone of the festival. Wildly friendly as, as friendly on the last day I was there as they were on the first, which has got to be a feat. And anytime I see anybody in the lines being rude to the volunteers, I will cast a spell on them and curse them silently and use all my gay powers. Because as gay people, we are allowed to um, cast spells on people. We shouldn't say that to everybody, but we it's true. Um, volunteer ad was kind of... Okay. Underwhelming. It wasn't like the aha ads of past. I watched, I found some of them on YouTube the other day. And the one where the one volunteer walks into the Take On Me style music video, <laughs> um, that was a good one. Um, and then Your Mortal the Enemy, more Your Mortal, Mortal Enemy, the Visa ad with the um, mm-hmm. Canadian halfway Bro. between like what if ryan reynolds and josh gad like became the same person 100 percent. okay so it's what if ryan reynolds and josh gad had a baby and he described the plot pulp of pulp fiction. fiction to you four times a day but also yeah. like set in an office yeah where people are just trying to do their job yes every time he asks that uh woman for the pen I'm like, sir, she's just trying to make it to five o'clock, man. I'm like, like, don't give him the pen. Don't give him the pen. I figured one of those times I would watch, she would just not give him the pen. Wouldn't that be a gag? If all of a sudden you'd get the ad where, where she stonewalls him. That would be amazing. Um, And then the Bulgari ad happens, and we're all rewarded with 35 seconds of Anne Hathaway and Zendaya. And zendaya doing a little sort of interpretive dance with her sort of bell sleeves happening Anne hathaway watching on doubtfully yes it's Not really it's really um, something thank god for that ad and then we'd get to watch movies i saw 23 movies there's still one that i have a screener link for so i could make it 24 um you saw 37 and just 36, 36. Okay, I thought your your letterbox list said 37. Regardless, at a pace of more than one movie per day more than me. Like, one and a half movies more per day than I did, did Chris file. And we're gonna we're gonna recognize that and i still managed to emerge with my life um and a little bit more money because i also attended the taylor swift event and wrote about it for vanity Fair. <laughs> yes that's right where would the taylor swift event have ranked on your letterboxd if you were able to letterbox it somewhere in the lower third I mean, the short you got to film see the, is beautiful. And yeah, you got to see it the on music 35 video. millimeter for a there print made specifically for TIFF. Um, I don't know. So it, your it was angle is a very different type of event. I've never gone to one of those conversation type things where it's basically a staged interview, sure, uh, or an interview on stage for an audience. And, sure, you know. Uh, uh, kudos to TIFF though, because I was fully expecting to leave that. Um, 
and report on it while injured. Sure. Um, and Stampeded by Swifties. Yeah. Excellent crowd control by the festival. From what I have understood, the Swifties and the Harry Styles people were the most intense fan bases. Yeah, the the uh, King Street outside of the light box before the Taylor Swift event, I joked that it looked like the funeral for Ava Perone. It was <laughs> it was a fully packed uh street you could not really move much. There was this little wedge that you could get into the light box and I like right. beelined it for that and I did not really crowd surfer so you wrote about this for vanity fair because not only just because taylor swift was in toronto but also she screened the long form music video for is it all too well that's the name of the song yes uh be careful call it a short film they will come for you oh why what is it it's a short i mean like she calls it a short film uh oh i called it a long form music video whatever like honestly i mean it it is it is looking possible that it may be run in a live action short. Well, this is what Oscar I wanted campaign. to talk about. This is what yeah. I wanted to talk about because we are an Oscars podcast. So hold hold court a little bit on your thoughts on does this have a chance? What are is there some reverse snobbery potential there? Is there some my feeling sight unseen is the voters for the short films at the Oscars would be insane not to vote for this unless it's really terrible and i will admit i've never seen this music video sorry short film um it's not really it's not it, no it's not i mean it would be insane for them to not go for it just because it puts your category back on the map i know we've gotten assurances by the new producers that they're not gonna cut any more categories from the broadcast but just to make sure put taylor swift in your top five like <laughs> so what do you think Okay, so not I there I mean there's already some snobbery of like people being like this is ridiculous. She should not be eligible for short film. And to my mind, like she put it in a theater, has taken it to a major festival. Mhm. And like if it hits the eligibility requirements, don't be mad at Taylor Swift, be mad at the Academy. If it hits the eligibility requirements, she hits the eligibility requirements. Also, and also all short like, films if, ta- if you want to consider it a music video, Think of all of the filmmaking greats that come from music videos. Like, this you, is the thing. if you had the opportunity to give, like, the Vogue music video an to David Oscar, Fincher, would yeah. you not? Um, yes, exactly. That's the thing is we wouldn't have to worry about, like, when is David Fincher going to finally win an Oscar? Because he'd already have, like, four of them by now. Right. Uh, the other thing is when said, you're talking about, like, eligibility requirements and whatever for short films, it's all by hook or by crook these are student films these are whatever like they're finding their way into eligibility however they can it's not like the uh, these things are playing robust theatrical runs anywhere so like what are you talking about well and i have uh, not less patience but like i make less room for the idea of well what if she's taking a spot of somebody who really needs the boost whatever if she gets nominated because i feel fairly firm that like at the end of the day, the snobbery of what this short film exists as and, like, just the the movement of the category that I don't think the Oscars are going to... I mean, I could be wrong. And you don't think she's going to get nominated. But, like, the snobbery is going to come in before she would even be nominated, let alone as a Well, she has People are been... talking about her like she could be a winner, like... I, think I don't mind that. See, if Taylor Swift wins an Oscar for a short film, God bless it, and it's much more. It's a much more interesting thing that would happen. The other thing is, 
Taylor Swift has been the subject of Oscar snubbery and snobbery before. Uh, She still has never been nominated, even though she has had multiple occasions where she has had contending songs. And it's not like we have lived through an era of impenetrable best original song lineups where like she just couldn't crack this sterling top five or whatever. She's had just as good. I maintain that even like Beautiful Ghosts, which is a weird nightmare dream fever, whatever, (laughs) um, probably was would not have been the worst nominee in the field that year she had the song from the hunger games the one time she had the song from her own documentary the one time which like songs from documentaries have made it onto the short list and like they've been worse than that one too so she had the song from one chance the paul potts musical biopic song james corden yes so Taylor's still still struggling out there. If there's one thing that pop star fans love, it's ways in which to turn their incredibly successful and beautiful and wealthy and talented objects of standom into disrespected underdogs. And this is definitely one way where Taylor Swift fans can be like, she gets absolutely no respect and it's intolerable. And that's uh, her situation with the Oscars. So we'll see where that goes. Let's talk about the movies, though. Let's talk about the movies. We are recording. We are hot off of hot off the presses uh, awards ceremony this morning. We are recording immediately after, Um, and much to I think few people's surprise, though I had some skepticism about it. You did. Uh, The Fablemans is the new not Grolsch People's Choice Award. All right. First of all, we're going to pour one out for the fact that Grolsch is no longer sponsoring the People's Choice Award, which, speaking of the pre-roll, means we don't get a Grolsch ad before um, uh, these things. What Did we remember? Did I what? tell you that one of the programmers, too, I forget what movie it was, that they introed and they accidentally said Grolsch? <laughs> you did. Did they get, like, um, you know, did, taken did out back or whatever? Themselves. Grolsch, by the uh, way, maybe. is a... I never saw that programmer again. <laughs> uh, it's a... Dutch beer company, by the way. I've never seen a Grolsch out in the wild. If I ever do, I will be taking a photo of it and putting it out on Twitter. It doesn't uh, sound appetizing. Well, no, it name. sounds like the sound you make when you, like, hawk up a loogie or something like that. Right? I was going to say, it sounds like phlegm. Yes, it does. But the Fablemans. Uh, but maybe they are Flemish. Who knows? Um, uh, yes, the Fablemans. Steven Spielberg, this was the big story going into TIFF, which was Mm -hmm. the coup that it was that TIFF was able to nab the new Spielberg movie. He hadn't been to a festival since, is it Lincoln, or am I misremembering? Uh, Bridge of Spies, he went to South By um, for for Ready Player One. Um, Bridge of Spies didn't play festivals, though, I don't think, did it? It played New York. Um, oh, it did. You're right. And it was Lincoln, I think, played AFI and was the secret film at New York when they still did that. Yeah, Lincoln definitely um, did that. Um, but anyway, Spielberg's lately been the sort of save it till the very end of mm-hmm. award season guy. He opened the post very late. He opened West Side Story very late. And though obviously nobody's saying anything it does feel like it's very easy for me who likes to graft narratives onto things to be like they're not fucking around with this one they don't want to take any chances that it opens too late and the the race has sort of codified itself i also think post west side story 
wildly underperforming at the box office. I think they're not fucking around with. They don't want to rely on the box office. Yeah, because it's so unpredictable. Are probably concerned for this two and a half hour, quite funny, but you know, ultimately. Oh, yes. This Tiff. Uh, a certain type of movie for a certain type of audience that's not really going to the movies right now. This People's Choice Award is not lying. Like, this is a crowd pleaser. Like, this is not a surprise. It's a good this... People's Choice winner. I it's mean... a, it's a great People's Choice winner. Actually, it's probably the best one that I can think of going back to. I'm trying to think of the last time, certainly in my time at TIFF. This With is the qualifier most... of Nomadland being at a TIFF that played 50 movies. Right, exactly. Um, like, 12 Years a Slave was before was the year before I started going to TIFF. Um, but that's probably the last time I've liked a movie as much as The Fablemans that won um, People's Choice. I want, I sort of went and did a little bit of quickie research on this in terms of... Because we've already seen The Fablemans be talked about as... Like, that, that night I saw people being like, well, the Oscar race is sewn up. And I've seen at least one more person since then being like, well, the Oscar, like Fablemans is winning best picture, like as a, as a fait accompli. I always encourage people to <laughs> take yeah. caution when you say that it's a very long Oscar race and being the front runner is not always the desirable position from this early on. That absolutely said. not. Like I don't. I. I again. We're recording this right after the award was announced. I don't know yet if it's a good thing or a bad thing in the long run. I do think it maybe does have the juice to kind of withstand being the first front runner in the race. Um, it. It. It yet, has. Like we've seen a lot of things in recent years be not. It not a great thing to be the early front runner. It it does though. It's not an early front runner that feels like a, we think of a lot of things that sort of burn early front runners. They are uh, technically impressive, but not emotionally engaging. They are, you know, they're maybe cold. They're maybe um, or the opposite. Or the opposite is like it's so much of an emotional uh, pull and it doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Which if the Fablemans is going to get dinged. It would be from that angle. It'll be from people who watch it and feel they were oversold on the emotional wallop of it. Because it is a fairly delicate movie. And it's a movie that hinges on small family bonds. Well, and I found that really impressive. What I think people might be underwhelmed by is partly because of that horrendous trailer for it is that it's which I like still haven't seen this big giant swooping thing and also that like I mean it's probably good that this is still being sold as like a movie about the power of movies because I ultimately think that has very little to do with this movie um mm. and like this is one of a thousand movies it feels like I saw at this festival that's about understanding and um uh reconciling uh your parents and your relationship to them um yeah. in a way that i found incredibly moving and like sure filmmaking is a part of that but it's more about that than it is about going to the movies and the experience of going to the movies like yes it's not as much about the experience of going to the movies as it is the experience of wanting to make movies which i think is a crucial mm-hmm. distinction and well and how spielberg as a filmmaker uh, his experience of 
making and assembling movies or telling stories, how it interacts with his personal life and a personal life that he doesn't speak about much. Yeah. Um, I guess that some of this was in the Spielberg documentary and I just forgot about it, but like there is yes, kind there is. of a huge element of surprise throughout the movie that I wouldn't really want to spoil for people, but they don't know what it is. And it's like when that yeah. surprise kind of happens, it really does to me at least reveal what the movie is. And yeah. That's when I started being really taken with it. I want to talk about the various nomination chances for the Fablemans, but I also want to back up for a second and just talk about the the festival sort of environment and where Best Picture winners ultimately come from. I'm looking at since... So there was a stretch run. Like, festivals did not become the like prerequisite for Best Picture winners until the mid-aughts. There was that, like... Beautiful Mind did not play festivals. Chicago did not play festivals. Certainly Return of the King didn't. Million Dollar Baby opened on, like, New Year's Eve at 11.30 at night. You know <laughs> what I mean? Not quite like, like that, but yes, it was a It was so late in the festival. Crash, obviously, is the outlier in that stretch because it played TIFF, but it was the year before. Um, Much like the, the Hurt Locker. Right. The Departed didn't play a uh, festival. So starting with the 2007 Best Picture winner, TIFF has premiered only... One Best Picture winner. Care to recall? Nomadland. No, Nomadland premiered in Venice. Oh. um, Then it's... I mean, Post-American Beauty. Slumdog Millionaire was a Telluride. Argo was a Telluride. So was 12 Years a Slave. What's the answer? It's Green Book. Green Book oh, is the right, only course, TIFF premiere, uh, which is also one of five People's Choice winners at TIFF to so uh, to uh, win Best Picture. It's uh, Nomadland, Green Book, Twelve Years a Slave, The King's Speech, and Slumdog Millionaire are all People's Choice winners that went on to win Best Picture. Of this people's Choice, period. Um, yes, People's Choice has a tremendous track people's record choice with has Best a Picture long nomination, and I've though. written about this. Right, right. Uh, I mean, like I've written about the history of this People's Choice. Uh, and, like, Best Picture relationship. Mm -hmm. And it goes back to, actually, Chariots of Fire. Um, Yeah. So it's like people kind of pin it on American Beauty, but it actually had a longer history with Oscar than... Well, and even to the point where recently you'll get movies that seem like odd choices for People's Choice winners, and, like, Room will win, and people will be like, huh? And Jojo Rabbit will win, and be like, well, that's going to have a hard time continuing this streak of Tiff People's Choice winners to get a Best Picture nomination. And then, like, sure as it goes, Room gets a Best Picture nomination, and Jojo Rabbit gets a Best Picture nomination, and Green Book wins. And so it does have this very, very strong correlation. The other thing that I noticed is, since... No Country for Old Men year, 2007, to last year. Only twice has the Best Picture winner not screened at TIFF at all. Not talking about premiere, just like in terms of like, it's only ever been two Best Picture winners since 2007 that were not at TIFF at all. One of them was CODA last year. The other one was Birdman. And so that is, again, so if you're going to TIFF, it might not premiere the best picture winner, but it will almost certainly show it. So and it's so, not bad news for something like Banshees of Sharon today. Like Exactly. Exactly. Um so before we get off of Fablemans though, the 
story going in, and I think in many ways the story going out, performance-wise, is Michelle Williams, who we have had our eye on because we have our little wager mm-hmm, that... Mm-hmm. Uh, if she wins an Oscar before Amy Adams, I get $50 from Chris Joe. gets $50. And so we have had our eye on the Fablemans towards this purpose for quite a while for her because we were like, big Spielberg project. She's playing essentially his mother, a version of his mother. And we assumed that it was going to be a supporting performance. I think seeing the movie... You could go either way. I think she's probably going to be campaigned and supporting. I think she will be the front runner in supporting actress. And she's tremendous. Yeah, she is absolutely incredible in this. I do think it's in the vein of what she did on Fosse Verdon. Um, yes. And like there gets to be discoveries about this character. I feel like um and you know the immediate comparisons that i think are ultimately once you see the movie a little lazy to other directors making like their life story type of movies or whatever um i feel like a lot of those parent roles in those movies never really kind of allow you to actually discover them and like yeah still kind of approach those characters behind glass as if they are not actual characters yeah and that is not true about this movie um and I would say that even more so for Paul Dano, who I would say is my favorite performance in the movie. But, like, yeah. it's, it's not exactly a movie um, that is uh, wanting for great performances. I mean, like, Jeannie Berlin is incredible in, like, three scenes. Yep. Judd Hirsch is going to be a huge story for having, like, five to ten minutes of screen time. That Judd absolutely... Hirsch is your classic, shows up, like, punches in gives three barn burner scenes and literally you like maybe punches don't out. understand half of the words he's saying it's almost like a coen brothers character he basically like gives the main character his entire statement of purpose punches out and the uh, and the audience spontaneously applauded and i was like well they welcome to the best supporting the actor team. race like judd right. hirsch is going to be nominated and and will richly deserve it i also want to bring up Gabriel LaBelle, who plays the young protagonist, we're we're all going to be calling him the young Spielberg throughout this campaign, and might as well not fight it. So, what um, a charming performer! What a charming performer! What a very good performance! I think in it, the in these movies, you tend to everybody else around this sort of younger performer gets attention because they're the actors we know of. There's a there's uh, often a reluctance to nominate younger performers in lead, especially when you can't fudge it so that they are supporting. And even still, sometimes you'll try, you'll see some movies try and, and put their child protagonist in supporting. Uh, I, you know, they tried it with whale rider before people came to their senses, but um, he's fantastic. I would absolutely get behind a campaign to get him a best actor nomination. Especially, I mean, like we'll get into it, but how dire best actor is this year. He would absolutely deserve consideration ahead of some other people. Right. Okay. So the runners up for people's choice, women talking, which right before the ceremony, I texted you because I wanted to be on the record because I, I sort of realized that I hadn't been considering women talking as a people's choice award winner mostly because its subject matter is fairly grim and i tend to think like well what are like the big rousing you know crowd pleasers and yet i'm like 
but it's a Sarah Polly movie, and this is an award being voted on in Canada, and Canada loves Sarah Polly. She is like their favorite. And daughter. it's probably the most audience friendly of every movie she's made. And so this was your runner-up. This was your first runner-up uh, for People's Choice. And I think it's a really good indication that even though this is a movie that it's an it's an a bit of an odd duck of a movie, just in terms of its presentation. It's maybe a little bit more lyrical than people are expecting. It also, while being lyrical, also is very head-on in terms of its uh, themes and in terms of what it's saying about, you know, this women living under a a, a patriarchy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, I it thought it was really the, fantastic. It is the, like circumstances that these women exist in but it is also broad big intellectual ideas yeah too so So, it's talky but it's also like in being talky can be entertaining but it can also have really like kind of complex issues that i would maybe argue it kind of breezes through a little bit quickly this was maybe a movie that i think could be a little longer than it is mm. yeah for that I, reason so you can actually kind of sit with stuff and not feel like you're marathon throughing a lot of big ideas i think you having read the novel that it's based on and me not um probably puts us a little bit on two sides of a different uh, two different sides of a fence for this movie mm-hmm. um i really thought it was tremendous the cast is wonderful it is it is about very briefly uh, the women in a Mennonite community who have been experiencing a constant stream of sexual assault from the men in the, in the community. And they are now faced with the decision of whether they stay in this community and essentially try and fight back against this tide or make the decision to pick up and leave and move on. And where they go and what they will do when they get there is sort of not known and they are now tasked with making this decision among themselves and that is the sort of titular women talking of the movie uh, this Ru- is not the movie titled decision to leave but it's <laughs> about a decision to leave. wow i didn't even think about that but yes uh rooney mara is sort of being positioned as the lead among this cast of women and so you are then left with a uh you're spoiled for choice, sort of, with supporting actress uh, contenders. Jesse Buckley is really great. Claire Foy is really great. You and I both zeroed in on Judith Ivey's performance. Judith Ivey's the best performance in the movie, period. I agree. I absolutely agree. I think she's tremendous. And every single time I started to tear up in that movie, I realized it was because of something that she had just said. Yeah. And she's tremendous. Frances McDormand is in this movie, but very briefly. I would not count on any yeah. kind of campaign for her. Ben was my feeling, and like we've had this conversation, my feeling is beyond uh, uh, Francis Dorman, Francis McDormand being a headliner. The three female headliners of this movie, uh, as much as I hate category placement conversations, by right, I think they are all actual leads of the movie, and then everyone else is supporting because there are just, as you're mentioning, a real like host feast of. Uh, interesting and compelling performances from this entire cast, especially from people you have maybe never seen before, yeah. um, including in the young cast. Oh, I will be um, very, very invested in this movie getting a SAG nomination for its ensemble. Um, 
I think it deserves that. So what you're you're saying that you would think that Rooney Mara and Claire Foy and Jesse Buckley all should be placed in Best Actress. I do think that, and I hmm, I'm still kind of thinking of how I feel about Claire Foy and uh, Jesse Buckley in this movie. I feel like those are easily nominatable performances, but I'm not. Yeah quite sure i loved those performances they are the biggest performances in the movie sometimes i think claire foy actually like did affect me at some point but like i just wasn't fully on board with those performances but i i could change my mind ironically this is probably the most i've ever liked jesse buckley in anything and i've been yeah i know you you are not uh, the jesse buckley fan i think she's got the best case towards a nomination i think claire foy has a very good one too i think it is very likely um not likely it is very plausible that the two of them could be both nominated together i think claire foy probably has the best claim to one because she has like the Oscar clip monologue. That... We had this conversation in yeah. the apartment. I also think Jesse Buckley has an Oscar clip not monologue, but um, it will be interesting to see how that shakes out. I also think Sarah Polly is going to be in the conversation for certainly adapted screenplay, possibly director, although I would not start writing her name in there in ink for that category because it is... The type of the type of movies that have gotten best picture nominations and not best director nominations, it it wouldn't super surprise me. That being said, there are a lot of very clear, artful decisions. Some of which I think people will roll their eyes at, like the desaturation of the movie, the ultra wide aspect ratio, but also just kind of the structure of the movie. You know, yeah. it's not a movie that is entirely these long conversations, and they're almost kind of punctuated by these montage sequences sure, sure, that sure. you know you're not seeing you're seeing the aftermath of the attacks on these women's but on these women but you're not ever seeing the attack it should yeah. be clear um but just like how their society functions and in the grand sense how our own society functions that i think really kind of give this movie a propulsive energy that i maybe nevertheless needed to sit with it more as I was watching. Sure, sure. So the other runner-up for People's Choice was Glass Onion, and I'm going to be very interested to see how this movie proceeds if it does through award season. Because, for one thing, it's a Netflix movie, and Netflix all of a sudden finds itself with not a whole lot of options for award season. They've got White Noise, which kind of underwhelmed in Venice. They've got Bardo, which could still be a contender, even though people, a lot of people seemed to hate it, but it's that kind of hate that feels like, yeah, a lot of people are going to love it then. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the kind of hate that feels like people made up, I'm, I'm not trying to be cynical and, you know, get behind the psychology of people, but like, it feels like people weren't giving a, that movie a chance to begin with, and... At the end of the day, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like that movie based off of the things people say they don't like about it. It'll, I, I feel the opposite for myself, but we'll see how that goes. But other than those two movies and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which is going to be an animated contender, Netflix doesn't have a lot. And all of a sudden now, in this sort of barren environment now, they've got this huge crowd pleaser of a movie, sequel to Knives Out, which I... The mo- Maybe this like is the most enthusiastic TIFF crowd I have ever been in. It's the it's it was my no favorite question. thing I saw at the festival. I had a fucking blast. I think I may have liked it even better than the first Knives Out, but like I'm gonna let myself sit with it. It is 
full of fantastic performances that uh, quite a few of which I could see a world in which you try to craft a campaign for a Janelle Monet or an Edward Norton. Um, Kate Hudson is tremendous in this movie. She will absolutely be on whatever kind of supporting actress ballot I make at the end of the year. I loved (laughs) every single thing she says in this movie. And just in general, I wonder... So Knives Out topped out at a screenplay nomination. That was its only nomination, right? Yes. Which left a lot on the table. You could have had, even beyond performance uh, nominations, you could have had costume nomination or art direction nomination or a best picture nomination or, you know, any number of things. And the question is going to be whether Oscar voters feel like they, in the ensuing years where Knives Out has retained a very strong reputation as a very good movie, and then with Glass Onion feels like almost like a coronation of it. It's so good that you look back and you feel like, oh my God, these are maybe like some of our most important movies right now are Ryan Johnson's uh, Knives Out movies. And so will Oscar voters then retroactively be like, maybe we need to you know, hop on this boat? Or will they be like, well, we gave the first one a screenplay nomination. We don't really need to get into the business of sequels with this thing and move on. If it wasn't for the position Netflix was in, that's probably what I would think about the movie. Me too. Given their position and given the amount of money we know they spend on their movies, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I definitely see potential for things like a Production design nomination. Certainly, I mean, the it revived. Would really deserve a costume design nomination. It I'm not so going to... deeply deserves a best costume uh, nomination. In ways we shouldn't spoil, just no. because it was so joyful and wonderful. This um, is the other thing: is Glass Onion does not premiere on Netflix until December twenty third. We are hoping that it will get a theatrical run before that. Of at they have least not a said weeks. anything definitive, so it, to me that says they're trying to figure it out. Which, like, if the TIFF audience reaction is any indication, yes. that's an incredibly smart thing to do because, like, you know, aside, I mean, sure, it'll be in theaters, but this is a movie that needs to play like across the country. Not this just needs to be open on Thanksgiving weekend. Like, this absolutely needs to be in theaters on Thanksgiving weekend. Well, it would have to be beforehand, probably, because of the 45-day window. I mean, the 45 if it has a 45-day window, that would mean it would be on the platform for Christmas and open in early November, which would right. be Right, but I'm just saying, it still it's needs to be still in a theater for that weekend. Like, that, you need to be able to have that as an option to see with your families on the holidays. It's... It's... Just it plays tremendously in a theater. Also, see it as soon as humanly possible because everything's going to be spoiled. Someone's going to spoil getting spoiled that should not have been. Just what a fucking dick move to like say some of like. There are so many kinds of things to get spoiled on in this movie, and I don't want to spoil anyone on anything. I'm going to shut my trap and see this for yourselves it's do yourselves a favor but i'm really really i'm holding out hope for an outside shot at a best picture nomination for this because it is definitely it was my number one from tiff so i had some more reservations about it you did though i did love my experience with the movie um i think it kind of looks like shit in the way that a lot of netflix movies look like shit um and uh, other things that I wouldn't want to go into lest we talk too much about the plot of the movie. Yeah. I don't 
notice those things. Um, all right. So moving on then from the People's Choice Award winners, in terms of what we do think are going to be other big best picture contenders, I want or uh, Oscar contenders in general, not necessarily just best picture. Uh, I want to talk about Banshees of Inisherin and The Inspection, both of which we both saw. I think Banshees of Inisherin is going to be a big probably a big contender across all categories. I think the inspection has a couple of performances that I really, really want to show up in the acting categories, but I think higher ambitions than that, particularly with a 24 concentrating on everything everywhere all at once. I'm not so sure. What do you think about those two? Um, Banshees of Inna Sharon is a very heady movie, but it's also very, very funny. Yes. Um, I, I think because maybe three billboards laid a foundation with Oscar mm-hmm. uh, for Martin McDonough, that definitely helps this movie because I think if that wasn't already established, I would maybe have a lot more questions about how this would register with Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a significantly better movie than that movie. Um, so anyone who is concerned because they hated three billboards. Yeah. Um, Don't let that I, keep you from seeing this movie. Yeah, I and I think that this movie succeeds explicitly where that movie failed in a lot of ways in ter- in terms of like discussing uh, all caps where we are now. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> that being said, I am a dum dum when it comes to um inter-Ireland relations and I don't fully always understand it. So I and like the particulars and this is definitely uh, somewhat historical, but it's like operating on the fringes, but on the fringes in a way that it's like underline mm-hmm. this is what the movie is about. Um, in a way that I'm eager to see the movie again to try to wrap my head around some of that. I mentioned this to you the other day, but I I would not be surprised if this ends up being Martin McDonough's first Best Director nomination after he was surprisingly left off of the list for. Three Billboards, even the Three Billboards was a Best Picture contender. Um, we have had our eye on this movie as well because of a wager between us, where <laughs> I get $50 if Colin Farrell is nominated for an Oscar by the end of this year's Oscar campaign. We did this several years ago. We gave my, we gave me, I think, three years to pull it off. So this is kind I of my... I think it's actually through the end of next year, but we figured out that he probably won't have a movie next year right this this is this felt like a last shot especially after after yang ended up being so muted in terms of its reception i think is going to happen for me i don't want to count any chickens before they hatch i think he's going to get a best actor nomination off of this and finally i think there is a great narrative out there for you know it's time we need to get him a best actor nomination i also think Brendan Gleeson is going to end up getting his first Oscar nomination in Supporting Actor. Uh, it is not quite a co-lead. I sort of went into this movie assuming it was going to be a co-lead, sort of like it was with In Bruges. Um, he's definitely the more supporting of the two, but it's a real robust supporting performance. And he's tremendous. He's been tremendous for quite a long while. I think he's overdue for an Oscar nomination, and we'll be happy to see him get one. I agree. I also think Carrie Condon, who is somebody who's been in things for a while, I remember her as far back as Rome, the HBO series Rome. She's also, for uh, Marvel fans, she's the voice of Friday, the uh, Tony Stark's uh, 
whatever AI system that the voice he hears inside his suit. Uh, after Paul Bettany went and became sentient as Vision, she sort of took over. Um, she's she plays Colin Farrell's sister in this. She's really really good and has a few scenes where, um, she just she's very sympathetic in a movie that is about a lot of sort of unpleasant uh, emotions between people. She's somebody you really root for in the movie. And I think that always helps with a supporting performance, especially from an actor who you maybe didn't know about before. Mm -hmm. What do you think of Carrie Condon? Um, I think she's really great in the movie. I agree with all that you're saying. I think post Katrina Balfe, I'm more willing. <laughs> You're which, like, we were all certain yeah, would be true. a nomination. It's true. Um, well, Judy's not sneaking around on the Judy's not here. in this movie. Uh, we did see the movie that Judy is in, oh, and Judy boy. Dench will not be nominated for Alleluia. Oh, um, my God. Like, that, Richard Eyre, we were so excited to see Richard Eyre and Judy Dench together again after Notes on a Scandal. It's a movie called Alleluia. It will not, I doubt it'll be not open, it will open this year. It will probably not open until next year. Um, set at a it's not i originally thought it was an old folks home it's a it's a hospital for the old and and perhaps dying Infirm. um and i was like it'll be our last day of the festival we'll see something that's you know british and sentimental <laughs> even though knowing that like richard air is apt to like pull some stuff on you but the things that this movie pulls out in its last 25 minutes I involuntarily said, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I think, well, you were right. It is, the the movie cannot support it. And it is. No. um, But anyway. So. It's a shame because it's a movie that would have been otherwise like perfectly fine, but a nice time at the movies. And then it pivots hard and it's like, oh fuck. Yeah. Um, What about Judy Dench though? Yes. We all love Judy Dench in a role where she says, Mama, let's research. She learns, she teaches herself the iPad. She does teach herself the iPad. That is very true. Um, what about the inspection? Where are you on the chances for particularly Jeremy Pope and Gabrielle Union in the acting categories? I feel like I liked this movie more than a lot of other, I mean, like, not hugely more than everybody else, but I feel like I like this movie more than everybody else. It's one of the few movies I was watching this festival that I felt clearly, I'm like, this could be a Best Picture nominee, but then again, people seem to like it less than I did. Um, I think it is But I don't think people disliked it is the other thing. I think a lot of people were expecting maybe more than what they got. I think people also had a lot of small complaints about it, which... I think are fine, but it's also the type of small complaints that people would have about a movie that is pitched directly up the middle. And like in Elegance Bratton, the writer director who the movie is partly based on his experience of being kicked out and experienced unhousing because of his homophobic mother. And then he enters the military, not only just to, you know, have housing security, but also to appease and appeal to his mother it's based Mm -hmm. on his experience um but in introducing the movie elegance bratton said that he was kind of explicitly making a movie appealing to an audience that like everybody could see this movie and you could maybe make people like his mother understand um their consequences or open up their heart and i think like it is a movie that is that i think it is a very mainstream movie and i feel like its sensibility will um appeal to the academy and i think 
you know, if you want an immediate comparison, obviously the military is part of it, but like, it's the type of sensibility of not obviously a romance, but like an officer and a gentleman. Yeah. Um, and you have some quibbles with it. Other people have quibbles with it. I think there's some tonal shifts, but at the same time, while I think it is that movie and it is appealing to the sensibility of somebody who is maybe closed off to the issues of queer people, I don't think that this is a movie that pulls any punches in terms of things like queer lust. It is fairly explicit about those things, too, in a way that I don't feel like, you know, it's playing exclusively to, like, yeah. a straight audience. No, But, but that I... being said the performances are tremendous. Like we're both hoping Jeremy Pope will get through in best actor. Obviously it's not a 24's priority, which is very frustrating. Um, I feel much more certain about Gabrielle union who I wrote about for the daily beast getting through as the mother role. Who yeah. like just a, just so happy that she finally got a role like this that shows the full range of what she can do. And I think she, she makes the some really difficult choices because, like, we have to understand this woman, but, like, I don't think it's as common to not ask for sympathy from the audience in the way that she doesn't, and I yeah. found that incredibly impressive. Yeah, she's very, very good. Um, she is, We are now in year two of our grand uh, national project where the stars of Bring It On uh, get comeback, uh, get Oscar vehicles for playing mothers of queer children and we celebrate that eliza dishku you are up next i guess Uh, exactly um yeah i think she's tremendous i think i hope that supporting actress is uh has you know enough opportunity in that field for her obviously michelle williams is uh, the front runner there but there are five slots in that category um best actor is a real mess we'll get into that in a second with a couple of the other movies that played tiff but um i think jeremy pope is one of the best lead actor performances i've seen this year it's i would agree the a24 thing is very interesting because they have two contenders here they have the much more i think potentially divisive everything everywhere all at once which was such a hit and has such fervent fans but the more and more you talk to people the more and more you hear about people being a turned off by the fans by the sort of the The oscars aren't going to care about the fans of that movie though no but what i'm saying is i also feel like you're getting a sense of people not liking that movie as much as its enthusiastic reputation might suggest I loved that movie. I I mean, I think a good portion a of the industry has already seen that movie, though. I I feel like a lot of the hesitations around everything everywhere have already kind of been met. But what I'm saying is, I wonder if there is a sort of silent majority out there that is not has not connected with this movie on the level of the rest of it. I don't know. And I think A24, it's interesting that A24 has is seemingly lining up to more aggressively push the weirder movie which is an interesting i would just disagree with you that i actually think everything everywhere is going to be their least divisive movie that they're pushing that's 
That's a take just on it. Just because people I, had so many quibbles about the inspection. I would normally think that that Sure, is... but but what did you just say? What you just said that the inspection is pitched towards a more mainstream audience. I think Everything Everywhere All at Once is definitely the stranger movie. I think... I, I mean, I the agree fact with that you, it's but hit. I also said it's pitched towards more... It's pitched down the middle, and yet people had these hang-ups about it right so but i think we're getting hung up on the distinctions between divisive as in the reception to a movie and what how it's constructed how it's pitched how it's sort of like the the inspection is a more mainstream type of a movie everything everywhere all at once is the weirder movie that became the big hit sort of unexpectedly I don't know. I just think it's interesting. I think another studio, you could have seen the same dynamic happen and watch them put all of their chips on the sort of more traditional movie that even still some critics may not have liked as much. Right. So I don't know. Um, I guess we could continue on the best actor thing and talk about two movies that you saw that I did not that are both currently listed as contenders in best actor but were not very well received at tiff that would be yes the whale and the, <laughs> the two sun. worst movies i saw at the festival yeah so talk about uh, these the, movies i did not see the them. worst of which being the sun uh which is the follow up to the father by florian zeller mm-hmm. um it tackles very very poorly um issues of mental health um, in relation to Hugh Jackman, who is a father who left his wife and teenage son to start a new family with Vanessa Kirby. His ex-wife is played by Laura Dern. Um, it's kind of an unqualified embarrassment, I think, for <laughs> just about everybody involved, except I think Vanessa Kirby is pretty good. Um, I don't think that it's any of the actors' fault. I think that the script is... After school special, if everyone was played by a robot, um, it, it feels very much like super, super, super French dialogue was just thrown into Google Translate <laughs> and not touched. Um, and it's just much like the whale, it's just misery porn. It is, I don't think it effectively or thoughtfully approaches its, you know, subject, which it's clear everybody takes very seriously and has good intentions about in the movie, but it's, it's bad. Um, uh, when Cameron Bailey came out and introduced the movie beforehand, he's like, when we saw this movie a few weeks ago, I was like, a few weeks, a few weeks. Um, so it's like they didn't they clearly didn't see the movie before they you know made it a gala yeah um, which like these those things happen but it was just um yeah i think i i even with few contenders um in the best actor race i do think that there is an explicit possibility that hugh jackman is not nominated for this so if he is nominated he will probably be the dead last fifth place even even headlining this movie that is going to get an awards push he doesn't really have much to do or have an arc like there's the big like sobbing scene but beyond that like yeah. You've ar- it's already lost you as an audience member. Um yeah. So 
contrast that then with Brendan Fraser's Chances for the Whale, because even with the whale not being very well received as a movie, I still feel like more than half of the pans that I see for the whale still make a point of saying Brendan Fraser is very good. We love Brendan Fraser. We're happy that he's having a comeback. He does his best. He imbues the character with as much as he can, yada, yada, yada. And it still feels like even though the whale as a greater entity is being sort of knocked around a bit that Fraser not only could still survive that to get a nomination, his first ever Oscar nomination, but that he still could be in position as a front runner. Um, I think it kind of remains to be seen what the industry is going to respond to that way in terms of how it affects his chances of potentially winning i think unfortunately he is probably going to be nominated i i mean i wouldn't say he's bad in the movie i trust his intentions with this movie and his uh you know aim at being empathic in this movie more than i trust or feel positively about aronofsky or cinematographer matthew libatique's uh so-called attempt attempts at empathy in this Mm -hmm. movie which is fully um bullshit um it's also just in my opinion a garden variety bad movie there is no like all my problems with the play are still there they kind of temper down the jonah and the whale uh allegory that i hated so much and was offended by so much um and really kind of just put it all on moby dick um, I think it's very kind of anonymously made from Darren Aronofsky, especially when he's already done so many of these story beats with The Wrestler. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of bracing for it to be uh, appealed to by the uh, industry at large. And yeah. like, it could be the type of thing that, like, you know the love for Frasier is a tide that lifts the whole boat up, you know, like a Philip Seymour Hoffman and Capote type of thing. And yet, like, I just, I have some questions about the Fraser campaign because, and I, I say this fully knowing that I am somebody who is very against the movie, but I I just I wonder how much of it is just the internet and us rooting for him and his career and like yeah. to be clear I want him to be able to play a role that has this type of emotion that allows him to have this type of emotional commitment etc and get the praise I don't think he deserves it for this movie it's a care I I I think that they're let me loop back. <laughs> is it just a thing of the internet rooting for him? And I question if the industry is going to look at f- as fondly as at his filmography of things like yeah. The Mummy, Blast from the Past, and, you know, the likes of that, and not be snobby about We've it. had this um, argument several times off mic, so I, wanna, I want to without rehashing it exactly. Right, right, right. Put uh, it out... I'm just saying this for our listeners. Put it out there for there our listeners. I think there could be snobbery at play that has nothing to do with the performance. I don't think I agree with you necessarily that the enthusiasm for Fraser is purely internet-based. I think you can see it in the ovation that he got at Venice. I think you can see it in the ovation that he got at TIFF. These are industry people. These are people who... It's, you know, audience and industry, but there is a warmness to him. I think... 
on the idea that he didn't make highbrow enough movies when he was popular i think mcconaughey i mean the whale isn't highbrow either right but i think mcconaughey showed that you can have a comeback without having been a darling of the snob set and still have it work for you especially if the story of your comeback is strong enough i think he has an incredibly sympathetic personal story to tell and i think it's going to carry him a long way i also feel like with the exception of colin farrell best actor does not seem to have a whole lot of strong contenders i think you could end up with nominees like austin butler for elvis which i would be thrilled for or bill nye for living which we'll talk about in a second and I don't know if I see a ton of win momentum in this category that unless Colin Farrell barnstorms it, which I would love, um, I feel like Fraser is at the very least has a lot of sympathy behind him. And I also feel like yeah. the whale getting knocked around at this stage of the of the game could set it up for a sympathetic wave of people who see it later and are like what are people talking about it's not that bad and fraser is excellent I it don't... is that bad though but i think I, it's a I, movie that's gonna upset people i mean it's certainly it. the prospect of it is, upsets me enough that i don't want to watch it unless i absolutely have to but so i don't think that you're wrong there but i also feel like you're going to find some people who want to run counter to this narrative and i think right. he will benefit from that so. Listen, I don't feel uncomplicated about it. I want the absolute best for him. But I also, being someone who tries to be a realist about some of these things, it's not an, it's not the type of a p- performance that wins Best Actor Oscars. It doesn't really have a character arc. Like, it, it's, I mean, this is a dig against the movie, not necessarily him. It's kind of just a flagellation. It is... Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Bill we'll Nye, however. Yeah, I was gonna um, say you seem to think Bill Nye can win this. I saw Living at Sundance, and I was very muted on my thoughts about how far this could go. Even though I thought he was quite good, you seem to be very. Bullish I mean, he on brought me to tears. I um, especially if Sony Classics redirects after the um the reception of the sun and Hugh Jackman is somewhat cleared out of the way. I definitely think people are underestimating Bill Nye to say the least. Um, and Sony classics is incredible at running a campaign like this for an older actor who has not gotten their recognition before. Um, it's a remake of Kurosawa's Ikiru. If uh, people didn't remember from Sundance, and he is playing the lead. He's he's a man who receives a fatal diagnosis after you know spending his life working in a bureaucratic environment, and he's just reflecting on his life and how he wants to have purpose while he still has a life. And there's a scene where he like uh, I even got emotional at Banshees, where it's like they do like those old pub shanty songs or whatever. Yes, and he Bill Nye sings, and it's like he can't even open his eyes. And Bill Nye, shockingly, has a beautiful voice. It's a and great. I was scene. just so moved by it. It's I mean, a great scene. This, however, in the way that I say the whale is not a performance, the type of performance on a character level, on the way that the character functions in a movie, and what their character arc is isn't an Oscar, the type of thing that win people Oscars, the absolute opposite of true is true of Bill Nye in living. I wish I could agree with you. I think he's tremendous in the movie. I think the movie's good. I think it's yeah, so the movie's not as good. I think the movie 
it's also it's small it's quiet it's not a bad movie but it's no it, it could be stronger it's small it's quiet it's not i worry about its ability to hold people's attention during a very busy award season and i also feel like with the opposite of fraser i think we love bill nye and i think people we know really love him i wonder if his appeal is more niche than we it would need to be to win an oscar especially in the acting branch though of the oscars there is a huge british contingent um and I do think that they are very smart to release Living late so that they can campaign it hot and heavy right before voting. I it's think exactly he's got... what they did with The Father. Yeah. Like, it's exactly what they did with Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. I've at least changed my tune from Sundance, and I now think he has a very, very good chance at a nomination. I think people have latched onto it more than I thought that they would. And I do feel like he has a, has a very good chance at a nomination. I still feel like winning is maybe a bridge too far for me right now. To me right now, it feels like Richard Jenkins and The Visitor, one of those kind of things where the nomination will That's be the award. That's not a bad But... I ultimately think probably... I'd the, love it. The, right now, my, my sense is that Colin Farrell could be the winner. He very well could be. The momentum is definitely on his side. Okay, so other things that could score in certain categories at the Oscars that we saw. Um, Empire of Light, which is the new Sam Mendes movie with Olivia Coleman playing a woman living in, I believe it's Margate, a seaside town in England in oh, what year is it? It's the... It's 80 to 81. Thank you. Um, right, because uh, right, because all that jazz is still in theaters. Um, yes, uh, she's coming off of you can you get the sense that she's coming off of this hard time in her personal life. She works at a movie theater that was once this sort of grand palace of a movie theater, and now it's somewhat less so. But it's still trying to hold on to its you know, it's charm and appeal. And there is a younger man who starts to work there at the theater and she, they become Michael Ward, right? Played by Michael Ward. They become close. I kind of expected to be enthralled by this movie. I feel like I didn't dislike it, but to me, it felt like it left a lot on the table that I really wanted it to, I really wanted it to go sort of full bore with the majesty of this movie house. There's this scene early on where they sort of go into the upper floor of the now unused sort of uh, top two theaters at this uh, at this movie house that also has this grand ballroom sort of thing. And I had a lot of architectural questions about this building. Same, I say. <laughs> but I also feel like I, I feel like Mendes doesn't do enough to sort of yeah. present that with this faded glory like i don't know i i i i didn't i had such bigger expectations for it coleman's fantastic i think coleman probably yeah she's amazing will get a best actress nomination for this the oscar voters love her if if oscar is as underwhelmed with this movie i could see her not getting nominated but maybe right now i think she's fine. i think she's a she'll contender. be fifth place I think she's but a solid contender she'll, she'll be fine i don't i wouldn't expect a Michael Ward nomination. I've seen that sort of being bandied about. I don't think that's going to happen. No, I wouldn't not Toby Jones, which I had hoped for. I suppose I could see a world in which other people like this movie a lot more than I do, and it gets a Best Picture. One of those like 
seven, eight, nine, ten slots on the. It's also being pushed by Searchlight, which Banshees will probably be their top priority. But Searchlight is very good at this. Yes. So. Yes. So I wouldn't count it out, but I'm just saying it was underwhelming for me. It's kind of a soup. It never really fully develops all of the many things it's trying to do, including being like a tribute to the movie going experience. Mm -hmm. And yet like those scenes that were about that, I thought were the best stuff of the movie. I loved Toby Uh, Jones in this movie. I thought he was great. He's the sort of, yeah, I just wish there was more of him. He's the representative Um, of the magic of cinema uh, community. He's the projectionist in this thing. And he has some really good scenes. Yeah. I don't think it says with any clarity what this it it tries to approach the political moment of britain at this exact time but like is very vague about doing it i think its mental Mm -hmm. health stuff is kind of vague beyond the really good performance by olivia coleman and i don't know it's trying to do a lot of things it doesn't really ever yeah tie them together very well but it's never less than watchable i will say uh while we were at tiff uh laura poitras's uh all the beauty and the bloodshed won the top prize at venice it had screened at tiff by so. then uh the momentum behind this movie as a documentary feature front runner i think is significant i think it has a real chance of just running away with that category it was one of my favorite movies of the festival um what's it about not my favorite that also played venice but like i do love this as a golden lion winner so much yeah um I, I'm skeptical on it being a documentary um, front runner. A because Laura Poitras has already won, and we've seen so many uh, examples now of if you win, they won't even nominate you again in the documentary branch. Um, in terms of like portraiture documentary, because it follows Nan Golden, it has such a wide reach and feels like it services all of the things it touches. It approaches the opioid epidemic. It uh, approaches Purdue Pharma and the um, Sackler family as well, but it also deals with uh, opioid addiction. It deals with her personal family. It deals with her personal artistry and the ways that maybe it kind of in a thorny way feels like it withholds on some of those topics. It does so because Nan Golden herself is withholding on them perhaps Mm. in a way that is, fascinating but doesn't exactly prevent the movie from becoming satisfying i was incredibly moved by it Um, yeah i'll be seeing it at new york film festival and i'm very very uh, excited to see it so much of the movie is like the photography slideshows that she presents and that like you'll have these long sequences that are just like slideshows of her photography but it's also with her commentary and her narration that is immensely compelling yeah um and the photos are well selected to that in a way that like you can see the version of this movie that's not as good but i i was completely impressed by this yeah uh another movie that i was very excited to see was wendell and wild which is an animated movie from director henry Selick, who directed the nightmare before christmas and Coraline, and this is his first feature that he's directed since Coraline. this is another netflix movie they i believe are maybe going to have the top two contenders in animated feature probably this is probably not one of the top which kind of sucks because you really want it to be wendell and wild and you want that to yeah. be the priority and it'll probably push, be guillermo del toro's be. pinocchio but yeah um this is a movie about a young girl 
uh, orphaned young girl, her parents have died in a very Beetlejuice-esque, I think, uh, car accident. It made me think of, this movie made me think of Beetlejuice in quite a, quite a few moments. But uh, anyway. Every five minutes. Um, it's <laughs> but his, in a good way. It's a tribute way. to his old collaborator, Tim Burton. Um, she, after a sort of rough, uh, adolescence she's you know sent to this boarding school in her original hometown which is now this rust belty rundown and i think it's called like rust creek or something like that um very sort of like industrial wasteland hometown she's sent to this catholic boarding school and at the same time she is brought to the attention of these two underworld demons named wendell and wild they're voiced by keegan michael key and jordan peele uh, jordan peele co-wrote the screenplay and is also producing the movie and they, she is some sort of conduit that they can use to, uh, they, their ultimate goal. See, this is the thing. The narrative has 8 billion things going on. Their ultimate goal is to start <laughs> an amusement park in the underworld. They work on the scalp of their demon father, like growing little hair sprouts with this little hair cream. The hair cream can raise the dead. Um, the, the, the school is run by a priest who's trying to maneuver politically with these two sort of, uh, industrialists, right, property baron, uh, people who are trying to turn the town into this, like, industrial prison, like, uh, prison for profit sort of thing. Also, there's a nun at the school voiced by Angela Bassett, who is some kind of demon fighting entity. So many things are going on in this movie. Eight billion things, but it looks... Everybody wants to talk about maximalist cinema now. And, like, this is good maximalist cinema. There is too much happening Too in much movie. is happening, but it looks tremendous if you've ever seen a henry Selleck animated movie it is a feast for the eyes and it's there's just imagery upon imagery upon imagery i think the young main character is such a this you know like young black girl who is styled in this very sort of like punk aesthetic and she's you know I don't know. She's just a tremendous uh, protagonist with everything else, even though there's 8 billion things going on. Um, I don't know. I was very much uh, entranced by it, even though I was like, what is happening? What is the story? What are we supposed to, where are we moving towards? What's, what's the, the motivating factor towards the end of this movie? And yet just like, sometimes just like, Oh, but look at all that's going on in front of your eyes in this movie. Uh, The character animation is tremendous the the sort of environment uh, uh, animation of like creating this town is really cool it's all very high angles and sharp angles and everybody's sort of pointy and and gothic and i don't know i think there's I had a, a good set of them. mean girls that are very very funny yes and they like are. yes the one thing in the movie that you maybe want more of that yeah the movie is doesn't give you yeah. too much of yeah i liked it a lot um so I'm hoping it will be a contender in Best Animated Feature. I think Henry Selleck deserves to have an Oscar by now. If you have an animated 1000%. feature category, you've honored... I feel like that category has, over the years, honored a lot of the greats. Your, you know, Miyazaki's and Nick Park and, you know, all the Pixar uh, folks, Pete Docter and, and, and such. And Henry Selleck should have an Oscar alongside all of them. So I don't know if it'll happen this year, but... I'm I'm hoping for it. Um, one of the last things you and I saw at TIFF, uh, we caught a later screening of it, actually, as it was in theaters, <laughs> so we could have seen it at the regular, regular multiplex. 
uh, was The Woman King, Gina Prince Bythewood's The Woman King, which... The movie I really thought had a really strong chance at People's Choice. I mean, I could have seen a version of People's Choice that went down that way. It is a banger of a movie, as if I could describe it that way. It is really good. I It's open in theaters now. I am very invested in as many people as possible going to see it. Uh, if you have not seen this movie yet, get a ticket and go to a theater. It is a great theatrical movie. It is a movie that's... If a huge movie like this can't make a shit ton of money, we're so fucking doomed. It's, like, it, yeah. it, this movie could not be more satisfying. I mean, I have minor quibbles with the like antagonist characters that I'm like, I don't... I could see less of them. I don't... I'm not as interested in them as I am in everybody else. It certainly adds another layer of story that it doesn't necessarily feel like it needs but like that they did not drag on me also there's a connect without spoiling there is a connection that is discovered between yeah two characters that as that was happening i was like oh i don't need this i don't need this I in this agree. movie and yet by the end of the movie they it sell does it. so well yeah with the emotional stakes yes. of that that i'm like absolutely this this makes full sense that this is in this movie viola davis plays a general i mean this movie's in theater so you've Fuck seen this trailer or whatever but like also if you thought the trailer gave you pause as to whether it was going to be good don't worry it gave me the same pause and it's so much better than the trailer suggests. the reason that it's a bad trailer is it's hiding all the good shit <laughs> yeah i mean it's i also feel all like all the good shit for people to see it in the movie it's also doing bad tonal things though and it's making it look like a music video and this is, movie is not a music video it's just a really robust action epic Viola davis plays this general of this all-female regiment in uh in africa in the early 1800s uh, Lashana Lynch plays her essentially like uh, she's what she's in charge of the training essentially, mm-hmm. and she's just so good. She's like badass too, but it's also like she does really she acts with her eyes so tremendously well. Um, she she wields her intensity so well, and um, uh, the star of Underground Railroad, uh, Tuso Mbedu, Tuso Mbedu is so 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 good in this. I've seen talk of maybe trying to push her in supporting actor she is the co-lead of the movie it's sort of like it's her and viola davis sort of like split time yeah. as the lead of this movie oscar prospects for this movie i think hinge on how big of a popular success it could be which is uh, a bummer unfortunately too because like watching it i was like this is one of the other movies i felt like could be a best picture nominee yes i think but it needs to be a sensation it needs to be a mad max style groundswell for its for it as a popular success and unfortunately that then leaves a lot of things up to things that are not in our control to do and so right i want people to see it i also just feel like this should this is the kind of movie that should be nominated in a whole bunch of crafts categories and right well i i maybe slightly disagree with you that it needs the box office to be like a costume design nominee a production design nominee but to be like but a at least to be like nominee, but f- it needs yeah. to make a lot of money yeah 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 because um, it's 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 a fundamentally mainstream movie yes and it's got the success of it unfortunately will be qualified because it is a mainstream movie by how much money it makes right right unfortunately we've seen that kind of thing in the past even in a very different type of movie but like this is why in the heights ends up you know 
in the Heights flopping as a box office entity basically canceled it out of the awards conversation. And I think sometimes when you are being pushed as a crowd pleaser box office movie, if you don't fulfill those expectations, then everything else sort of falls apart. So, um, speaking of falling apart, my policeman, neither one of us saw it. So I don't really think we can talk about it too much, but also it was like that movie very much came and went in terms of uh, people could not have hit the festival at a worse worse time time. where it's like a lot of press who were there were getting ready to leave and they had seen a lot and they were tired and well and also harry styles at this point is harry styles at this point is so like uh, uh toxic in not necessarily in and of himself, but like people were so sick of talking about him after the whole don't worry darling stuff that people had were like pre weary of this movie because they didn't want to have to wade into yet another Harry Styles thing. I think by the time the movie premiered, we had already seen the whole like Harry Styles shouldn't be an actor thing. And like we felt like the movie was very much kind of dead on arrival. And then the actual yeah. seeing of the movie didn't do very much to revive it. So we don't really need to talk about it very much because um, neither one of us saw it. Um, international feature implications at this festival, I thought, were pretty high, especially because while we were there, we had heard that France has narrowed down their shortlist to the film that they're going to submit uh, to international feature to, I believe it was a shortlist of five, but everybody basically assumed five. that it's between St. Omer, which was my last thing that I saw at the festival. Uh, from Alice Diop and One Fine Morning, which is a movie from Mia Hansen Love, which had played Saint Omer one all day one. Yes, yeah. Uh, one Fine Morning had played uh, Un Certain Regard at Cannes and Director's Fortnight. Actually, fuck, I'm always wrong about that shit. All right, um, and then Saint Omer won a prize at Venice while we were also it there. got second place, yeah. and it was my second favorite of the festival. <laughs> yeah, I'm hoping, I liked One Fine Morning. I love Mia Hansen Love. I think she's a tremendous filmmaker. She'll have her moment, I'm hoping. I think this, I think Saint-Omer is going to be the French submission, and I It's do significantly like- better. I mean, like, I always want to root for Mia Hansen Love. I do have to say One Fine Morning was maybe one of my disappointments of the festival, purely because of... The romantic storyline in that movie, I kind of thought couldn't be more boring, even though Lea Seydoux is tremendous in the movie and does incredibly well in the romantic plotline of that movie. It's more, I mean, it's like, it's half about her having this affair with a married man that could not be kind of more cliche, and the other half about dealing with a parent um, who's experiencing dementia. Um, yeah. It's very sad. To me, it was a very great. sad movie. Yeah. Um, she's great. I just, I, I wanted more out of that movie. I was maybe yeah. oversold on it because some people out of Cannes were saying it was one of Mia Hansen Love's best, and I just can't agree with that. Say No Mare, however, I thought was fucking tremendous. Um, it's an incredibly um, well-made and very confident movie. This is a movie that will hold its camera on a character for very long scenes and and really trust that actor and that character to keep you riveted and the gamble pays off because you are and um it is about a courtroom proceeding in france uh a young based on a true life court case right based on a true life case where a young mother drowned her daughter in the sea 
and this is the murder trial for that and there is a uh she is a she's a writer right she's working on a book mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and this woman goes and, and is observing the court proceedings and at the same time reflecting on things about her own life her own present circumstances but also her own childhood and her relationship with her mother and what's it like to grow up with a mother who is not capable of loving her child or is not capable of caring for her child in a certain way and um it's really 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 well done and i'm Mm -hmm. very kind of invested in it another one of the movies from the festival about understanding our parents yes yes very true um so i think that one's going to be a uh international feature contender if france does submit it one movie that we both saw on the first day that had played at Cannes that i have seen a lot of people talking about as a major contender at the oscars as a possible best picture contender and i i'm somewhat puzzled by that is uh, is decision to leave the park chan wook movie which is not a bad movie but i'm wonder it feels to me like the people i see who are talking about that movie as a possible best picture contender can't have seen it because if you see this movie <laughs> and that's not like a dunk it, it sounds like a dunk but it's not i just you, i think it's people being reductive about the movie and not really knowing much about it uh, well it's like it. i think it's people trying to call their shot on what's going to be the foreign language best picture nominee this year because now there seems mm-hmm. to be a slot for it a slot in best director and a slot in best picture and just because drive my car got a nomination last year does not mean that we are now going to have a you know uh the the a park chan wook movie this year get nominated just because bong joon ho won a couple years ago does not mean that it's like park chan wook's turn now like yeah that's not that's not how it is and like this is also park chan wook's also a different kind of filmmaker who i don't think is as populist or maybe populist isn't even the right word but as accessible yeah. as bong joon ho's films Certainly are not. right i mean this this is a movie that i think takes a minute to become the thing it, that it is and i maybe had a little less patience for it until it became what it ultimately is and then i fucking loved it see that's funny um, because i feel like i'm the opposite where i was with it for a while and then it uh, to me it really started to repeat itself and and I was ready for this movie to be over a good 35 minutes before it was over and but what an ending what, see i don't know i think i was by the ending i was i was out on it um not out just sort of not as enthralled with it it's still to me it's a three three and a half star movie i don't know maybe i i think i might have overrated it because of its reputation and i feel like i may be a dum-dum for not liking it very much but like you i also saw it at the very beginning of the festival and then saw 20 other movies so yeah like you're allowed time to reflect on what you're watching yeah um I think Tong Wei is tremendous. We Tong all know Wei I'm is in tremendous. the tank for Tong Wei. Yeah, she's great um, in this movie. Yes, I agree. But like, I would not expect a Best Picture nomination for this. I could be wrong. No. I'm leaving that possibility. Other people could. It's also being distributed by Mubi, which like sure. it's uh, apparently the plans are it's like the largest scale that they will probably release a movie yet. But yeah. like, quite the unknown yeah. entity in terms of Oscar. So one, I think. Calling it yeah. a, ble- a Best Picture nominee is uh, quite a gamble. One movie I also um, 
thought maybe had pacing issues, but I think has elements that could really be very strong is Corsage, which is going to be, mm-hmm. might be the Austrian entry, right? In the foreign language? It is. It is. Yes. Um, Vicky Creeps plays the Empress Elizabeth of Austria. Am I getting all of those facts mm-hmm. right? And in a highly fictionalized, modernized, yes. Yes. modern lens, I should say, right. uh, version uh, or take on her as a character. She's very good. I yes. could see this movie being a strong enough player in international feature where you could end up getting some overflow appreciation for Creeps' performance, and depending on how deep Best Actress runs this year, I wouldn't be surprised to see her sort of operating on the fringes of that category. Right. And I mean, she's someone who probably will be nominated eventually. Yes. Um, That poster also really sells her as like a next big actress to deal with, to reckon with, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I do think... Just because of what the movie is, I do think it probably has a decent chance at a nomination for the category, and then we'll see yeah. what narratives actually develop this year in terms of what could be winning, but like, I do think it has a strong chance. I think Vicky Creeps is significantly better than the movie. Yeah. Um, I think so, too. But, I mean, yeah, she she's incredibly fascinating to watch in this movie, as she always is. So, just, I now I want to sort of move into, like, Things that we really liked that we don't think really have necessarily Oscar implications. You could uh, tell me if I'm wrong, because two of these I did not see. I will be seeing After Sun at the New York Film Festival. I will maybe be seeing The Eternal Daughter at New York Film Festival. You saw them both at TIFF. You loved at least one of them. I think you loved both. Over the moon for both of them. Okay. Uh, Before we move on from international feature, I should also say I saw the... I forget. I think it's the... Icelandic submission, but it could be a different right. country. Uh, Godland, right? Which has resonant the revenant silence vibes, but like I maybe also don't understand international relations between Iceland and Denmark sure. to really fully understand everything that movie was doing. Sure. If you told me somebody died making it, I would believe you. <laughs> um, uh, good movie, okay. strong movie. I think it maybe had some like limitations and familiarity sure. that like kept me back once I really thought about it. But sure. um, there's that to look out for. Janice is releasing it, so it could be a nominee. Um, two movies you're talking about are After Sun and The Eternal Daughter. Yes. <laughs> Again, both movies about trying to understand our fucking parents. Wow. Um, um, Eternal Daughter, no question, it's my favorite movie I saw at the festival. It's Joanna Hogg following up both souvenir films with uh, a movie that plays alongside them, though it is very different because Tilda Swinton is playing, once again, both a stand-in for Joanna Hogg's mother and this time playing a stand-in for Joanna Hogg herself. They are going to this mansion in the English countryside for a holiday, and slowly over time you realize it is the younger Tilda Swinton's kind of last stab at understanding her mother and her background and where she came from before while she feels like she has the ability to do so and yet it's all occurring within this very gothic surrounding i mean i'm already in the tank for a movie uh with several shots of a mansion covered in fog (laughs) but um 
just a very unique film in terms of what it is doing tonally, the um, way that it gets to its really incredible emotional effect, um, and the performance of performance says I should say um, from Tilda Swinton at the center of it um, also have a quality of slow reveal but the slow reveal of a very deep emotional well and yeah. i guess kind of this idea if it the movie seems like a ghost story but like how are we uh, the ghost of our parents how are we you know the ghost of things that have happened to us in the past mm-hmm. i guess to be so kind of broad and obvious about it um it's the first time i've ever gone to tiff and felt a real pull of I might go see this again while I'm here, but I didn't do it. I didn't want to be gauche. Yeah. Um, I I don't think A24 is releasing it until next year, but I really hope people give it a shot when they see it. Yeah. When they can. I still need to do my uh, souvenir weekend and watch both of the souvenirs, and then I will watch The Eternal Daughter after that. I, I wouldn't think you would need to see the souvenir to fully appreciate The Eternal Daughter, though, like... To see the symmetry between them and how yeah. Joanna Hogg has made three very different movies that are all autofictional is incredibly fascinating. Yeah. Um, and I think each of those movies has gotten increasingly better. Um, all right. After Sun, however, was a movie that I basically, out of out of can, got some of the best reviews. It played Critics Week, um, and I believe won the Critics Week section. A24 is distributing it sometime? this year my fear is that it's going to be dumped the way that funny pages and reportedly stars at noon are going to be because it's not the most obvious sell right now for a theatrical experience but it's probably the most uh or the biggest emotional wallop i had all festival it's another slow reveal movie to reveal what it's doing um it is paul mescal plays a young father taking his daughter who is a stand-in for the director um to on a vacation in turkey um he is clearly going through a time mentally and emotionally but his young preteen daughter um who is the eyes of the movie uh kind of goes through a slow reveal of that you have some like you know a young coming of age stuff, but the movie is ultimately building to this understanding of the character's father in a way that I wouldn't yeah. fully want to spoil, but like absolutely devastated me. Um, so I, I haven't really seen this movie, but I'm curious how you feel like it after sun functions as a sequel to the sun. <laughs> well, I did after I did see the sun after I saw after sun. You saw the sun um, after after sun. Same day. Okay. Um, Much uh, in the same way, I was curious how Brother functioned as a sequel to Bros. Right. <laughs> Brothers with Brother with a really great Aaron Pierre performance. There we go. Um, didn't love it as much as I loved the book. Um, after Sun, though, I did not just say anything unique about it that was not said at uh, that movie at Cannes. It felt like everybody was saying, it emotionally destroyed me, here's basically the setup, and no one had anything else <laughs> unique beyond that to say. Neither do I, unfortunately. And I think it's because people who respond to this movie are trying to uh, uh, preserve, preserve the experience. it yeah. as much as we can. Yeah. 
within our hearts and allow it to reveal itself to other people. Well, so it'll be revealing things. itself to me yeah, in, yeah. The, in a couple weeks, so I'm excited for that. Uh, one movie that I saw that I don't believe you did that I really liked, and I can't guarantee you will like it, but um, was Sanctuary, which stars Christopher Abbott and Margaret Qualley. She is a uh, sex worker who works in form her she you know dabbles in the genres of domination and uh and you know the power dynamics in uh her sex work chris abbott is this young sort of uh proto ceo sort of inheriting the company that his father left to him when he died working out his own feelings of inadequacy and also like it, it's one of those things where you see the setup to the movie and you're like i understand the dynamics in play here like i know what's going on and yet as it plays out it becomes it doesn't become different but like it's it's so much more compelling than what you think it's going to be margaret qualley in particular is really good uh going through these sort of versions of character she wants to play and then how much of this is herself and how much of of you know this is herself as somebody she's trying to be and then you know it's not quite a movie that keeps you wondering is this real are we in are we in you know play acting territory or not and yet it does use those elements to really good degree it's essentially a movie that takes place within a hotel room it very much it's not based on a play but it very much could have been you know a one room play kind of thing i love this movies is my like question that. about the movie because christopher rabbit tends to do so many of those like acting exercise movies i really love him um i tend to love him in I general i think he's great in this i I'm not sure when this movie is going to come out. I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't come out till next year. I also don't know who has it. Um, hold on. I should. I don't think it has distribution. I don't think it has either. Uh, the writer-director is... Oh, sorry. It was directed by Zachary Wygon. It was written by Micah Bloomberg. Um, we'll be interested to see where it lands. Would not surprise me if it ends up on any of the streamers i'm not entirely sure exactly even i could see this as a netflix movie i could see this honestly as like a peacock uh movie or a hulu movie you know what i mean like it's it will damning praise i but, uh, i don't mean it that way i just mean just like the way that the landscape is these days like it feels like it's like that's where it's going to end up and i mean the landscape is such that midnight madness audience award winner weird the al yankovic story is, is a roku as original I kept calling it roku original it is and i would roku original weird highly recommend you check it out on roku when it does premiere because it's very funny i had a very good time with weird al um yeah so one other thing i wanted to bring up it was a movie that we both saw that i think we both thought was better than we were expecting coming into the festival which is causeway which uh remind me of the director of this movie again i can never remember her name lisa nugabauer yes um, this movie has been on the horizon for a while. I make my little spreadsheets at since the beginning, before the pandemic. Yeah, the beginning of each year, I sort of make my little spreadsheets about what's expected and what's in development and what might be coming down the pike. And this movie, which was originally going to be titled Red, White, and Water, Water. Yes, thank you. Right, Red, Water. White, and from Canada Water. <laughs> um, 
has been in the works for a while. So it finally came out. It's Jennifer Lawrence playing this woman returning from, uh, she's an enlisted woman returning from Afghanistan where she got uh, wrecked by an IED and she has brain, uh, uh, she had a traumatic brain injury, essentially. She's recovering from that. She's hoping to recover enough to go back. She wants to go back to Afghanistan in large part because she's not really adjusting to life very well here. She has a family life that she does not seem to want to linger with. And at the same time, she strikes up a friendship with Brian Tyree Henry, who plays this guy who runs an auto shop and she needs to have her car repaired. And they have this friendship that sort of blossoms from there. It is Chris, as you mentioned, as we walked out of the fest or the screening, a sterling example of one of your favorite genres. Friendship cinema. Friendship cinema. This is friendship cinema. Uh, Brian Tyree Henry and Jennifer Lawrence together are really, really good. I was very, very happy with their screen chemistry. And not necessarily, like, it's it's both more and different than what you expect. And And yet, like, uh, before we saw it, I was like, everybody that's like, they're meh, or like, half in the tank uh responses to it i was like this sounds like something i'm gonna like and like uh, while i do think that the very minor key of this movie is part of what i like about it i do also understand it as kind of a complaint it's not a movie that doesn't have cliches Mm -hmm. to it but i do think the things that might come across as cliche are really kind of from the feet up justified and Mm. explored within the movie you know but like i don't it's not a movie that's gonna reinvent the wheel for anyone (laughs) right um tremendous like that being said and maybe some of it was diminished expectations because we knew that this was a movie that had extensive reshoots from the vogue profile with jennifer lawrence it sounds like during the pandemic they basically kind of reconceptualized the movie um you can definitely tell what was there before um, and what, you know, was reshot, yeah. probably. Um, not always to the downside. I mean, there's also certain things like Samira Wiley was supposed to be in this movie and is now not there at all. Interesting. Um, this movie does feature both Linda Imond and Jane Houdeschel. So if you are... And Stephen McKinley Henderson. And Stephen McKinley Henderson. very, right. like, New York theater elite. I was going to say, if movie. you are into a movie with a lot of New York theater actors in small roles, this is the movie for you. I, be- I imagine it won't open until next year, but I don't know. No, it's opening this year. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Apple's, Apple, oh, Apple is right. releasing it in theaters in November, I believe. Huh. But... You can imagine that's not going to be a huge theatrical release, no. and it's more so meant for the platform. We'll see how the year shakes out. I I mean, like, I'm so desperate for a Brian Tyree Henry nomination, and he is so good in this. Um, I wouldn't count on it, but he is very good. It's because if it doesn't happen, it's fully because it's a movie that's going to have a hard time fighting for attention. Yeah, yeah. it's just it's it's a very, I mean, like. Uh, valuably so because it's more about getting into the dynamic of these two characters and i think some of the things that might have people's guard up about it um is actively kind of approached in the movie yeah um but again it's a very minor key movie yeah 
I want to really quickly sort of run through a handful of movies. Everybody asks us when we go to these festivals, like, what are the movies that are going to be future this had Oscar buzz movies? Which are the ones that are going to be blanked, essentially? And it's definitely a way of looking at the festival that I don't always want to. I always sort of hope for success and... Yeah, we want to be optimistic first. And I also have an odd... My pessimism surfaces in ways where I'm like, well, The Whale will probably get nominated. So, you know what I mean? It's just like I I, I envision more success for things that I don't like, and then I want to root for the success of things that I do like. And so... uh, But I think there were a few. I jotted down a movie we neither one of us saw, which is Peter Farrelly's The Greatest Beer Run Ever, starring Zac Efron, which played very, very late in the festival. And of course, I It had the same exact festival run as Green Book. Exactly, exactly. And so I was bracing myself for like, listen, on paper, it doesn't seem like much. And yet, you know... And yet it could be the People's Choice Award winner, which it did not. And unlike Green Book, though, after it premiered, I really heard no one talking about it. Yes. Like, you heard these weird whispers about Green Book at the time that it was like it played through the roof yes. or whatever. Yes. But I heard truly nothing about Greatest Beer Run ever. Right. Um, and so I could see that being a movie we do in the future and sort of be able to talk about the weirdness. I think it gives us at least a chance to talk about the weirdness of the Green Book run and also talk about Zac Efron. And we don't have a ton of opportunities to do that. We've already done our episode on The Paperboy. So listen, I am already at a fever pitch for the Sean Durkin movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, the Sean Durkin movie. Um, I saw Triangle of Sadness as the first movie of my festival. This was, of course, the Cannes Palme d'Or winner from Ruben Ostland. I quite liked it. I do not expect it to show up on the Oscar uh, ballot at all. I couldn't disagree with you more. Um, you think it will get nominated? I, I'm I'm not so certain, like dead certain, that I think you're completely up a creek here. I understand why there would be hesitancy. I saw it in a public screening, and I saw it at the Princess of Wales, so I saw it in like yeah. the biggest venue. And it played through the roof, including at the parts that I kind of despised it. Um I think we have the potential to have, like, the weirdest Best Picture nominee that we've had in a Oh, you think this is a Best Picture contender? Oh, wow. I think it's a Best Picture contender. I think it's a Director contender. I think it's a Screenplay contender. And I think Dolly DeLeon is a contender and supporting actress. And I would be so happy if she got it. This is a movie that, like, I went from outright despising it to thinking it was a masterpiece to thinking it was fine to thinking it was hilarious to thinking (laughs) that it couldn't be more obvious and unfunny constantly within the span of every five minutes so like see to me it's a much more regimented thing where i thought the beginning i was into it and intrigued the middle i loved and i thought was savagely hilarious and then I think the final third of it, again, just re- repeats all the points that it had made and feels very superfluous. And that is where the performance of, um, uh, remind me of her name again? Dolly Dillion. Dolly Dillion. Her performance shows up in that final third, and she is very good. But I think the movie is maybe better without that section of the movie, so it's tough for me to sort of you know, get on board. And I disagree that. because I think each section of the movie is progressively better. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah, I did yeah, not like And she along with movie. it. I think she's definitely the MVP of the movie. Um, 
I think it's probably an editing nominee. I wow, all right, yeah. Well, there I, is I think, a significant. I think there's a lot of potential for this movie, and I and and I there's a significant backlash to the movie that I don't think would necessarily matter to its Oscar chances, but like a lot of the critics who are seeing it in Toronto for the first time after all of that can expectation did not seem to like it very much and found it. I mean, I saw a lot of those reactions calling it smug, calling it obvious out of can too. While I think it is those things, I don't always think that it prevents it from being good. There are some times where it wholeheartedly makes it a bad movie. (laughs) Um, But then there's also times that are really great. I think my feeling about it was seeing it in a packed house in a huge venue and seeing how well it went down. Yeah. I, I, and like, because it was like a public screen, I think like this is a movie that can appeal kind of broadly. It can appeal to high minded people. It can appeal to low minded people. Um, I think there's a lot of potential. All right. One that I think is definitely too small to show up as an Oscar nominee. And thus we definitely could end up doing an episode on it, even though it's Oscar buzz is mostly on paper and not much in practice is Sebastian Lelio's the wonder, which we saw together. Uh, Florence Pugh plays a nurse in olden times. I'm not, I (laughs) 1700s. What's the, what's the, what's the time period that we're talking about? I don't think it's that far back, but yes. 1800s, uh, it, sure. You're also talking about one of the problems of the movie. Um, it could not be, uh, for something so specific, it could not kind of approach it more Well, and it sort of employs this odd framing device that tr- that almost, you know, makes that superfluous. Which made me want to flip my fucking Yeah, it's a chair. weird framing You device. know how much I hate it. It doesn't ultimately... Um, it doesn't take a lot of time with it, so it was easy for me to sort of brush it aside, but it is annoying yeah. when it happens. Yeah. I think Florence Pugh is but quite good. But then it good. doesn't need to be there. <laughs> she plays a, a nurse who is called upon to verify the uh, truth of, or not, this young girl who has apparently been fasting for months and is showing no ill effects. And it seems like this town, a lot of people in this town are very invested in the idea that she might be a saint. And her family is sketchy, and Florence is dubious, and I think it's a pretty good movie. I liked it. I think I think it moves. I think Lelio sort of keeps it at a good pace. I think it's uh, the peculiarities of the story are told really well. I think Florence is good, although she's by this point given so many kind of spectacular performances that just this sort of workman like good performance almost comes across as lesser yeah. or minor key but everything in the movie is too workman like though sure. like there should be and there are flashes there, of yeah, it there's not I was a like ton oh of this is where it's clicking into place yeah. but like it felt ultimately a little fleeting when that would happen yeah um there's nothing i mean beyond that horrible framing device it's mostly just a movie that should be more tense, more interesting, more peculiar than it ultimately is. Mm. Like, I found little to grapple onto it to even kind of recognize it as a Sebastian Lelio movie. Yeah. Um, I see that. I hear yeah. that. But there's there's not really anything beyond that framing device that I would say is bad. It's just, yeah. it's a lot of unrealized potential. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Um, it'd be an interesting one to do for us because it lets us talk about Lelio. And when we talked about Gloria Bell, we didn't do a ton on Lelio. 
lets us talk about Florence. It's not a particularly thrilling movie, so uh, I don't I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see if we end up doing that one at any point. But anyway, any others that you would throw into the mix there? Um, let me pull up my list and see if there's anything we haven't talked much about. Uh, one of my favorite things that happened during the festival, during the press screening of Jafar Panahi's No Bears, which was excellent, uh, the digital print kind of sputtered and stopped, and it took a while for us to realize whether or not <laughs> it was Panahi doing a Panahi flourish and punking us, but it was not. That's funny. Um... Did you did uh, you sing No Bears to the tune of No Dames from uh, Hail Caesar like I constantly am doing or no? I guess no. I sang it to the tune of Alicia Keys's No One. <laughs> All right. Um, we've been talking about this for quite a while. Perhaps we should uh, wrap it up. Another. It was really, really great to be back to TIFF for the first time in three years. One million percent. It was wonderful to spend two glorious weeks with you, my friend. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Really, we had, you know, it was, I was worried about what the vibes would be three years late, three years and one pandemic later. Um, And yet it really felt like falling back into a lot of those old rhythms. It felt like the festival was back. I, um... Some of my faves from uh, uh, TIFF's past were not there this year, and I'm hopeful that they will maybe be there at future ones because it is about the movies, but it's also the sort of camp, you know, back to camp feeling of, you know, seeing all my old friends. So um, hopefully more TIFFs to come, but it was great and saw some really good movies, and I'm really pumped for the awards season now as we go along. It'll be exciting to see how things play out. Indeed. All right. We have a lot to see almost immediately. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, Chris, that can be our episode. Uh, listeners, if you want more of This Head Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thisheadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Chris, where can the listeners find you and your stuff and your I am on Twitter at Chris File uh, and also Letterbox at Chris File. That's F-E-I-L. Yeah, I was letterboxing it up uh, throughout the festival at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. My Twitter is the exact same. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcast visibility, so climb up to the very back row of the Princess of Wales and see me with a nice review, won't you? That's all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. In the search for wonder, there are no endings, only new beginnings. Beep.